don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on the Social Minds podcast. Consumers are not necessarily as loyal as you think they are. We were joined by Monica Hu, the director of social media for EMEA at Twitch. In a past life, Monica spent her time as a brand consultant at Deloitte Digital. And as she's now in charge of Twitch's content strategy, we got to hear all about a social platform's own approach to social media. Yes, by now you should be familiar with Twitch, which is by all accounts a live streaming giant within the social media landscape. But as well as touching on live streaming, our conversation with Monica focused on another area of social media marketing and the importance of always on and BAU content. In this podcast, we discussed why success on social often requires 99% data and 1% intuition, how to be reactive without purely riffing off what's trending, and how the rawness and authenticity of Twitch sets it apart from other platforms. If you enjoy what Monica had to say in this episode, let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or by starting a conversation in the Social Minds Facebook group. The only advice that you can really sort of get out of this is to form a hypothesis, test and learn from it. All this and more coming up. How can brands achieve a successful always-on social strategy? So that's a great question. And that's actually something that both in my current role as director of social at Twitch and EMEA, um, as well as in my previous life as working as a consultant, you know, it's, it's a question that I've been mulling over for a very, very long time. And I think ultimately what it is with always on uh, social strategy is really making sure that you have the right objectives, goals in place first, right? You, you can't really go into sort of social content without actually thinking about your overarching strategy. What are you trying to achieve? What is your goal in terms of connecting with your consumer? Are you looking for that relationship, looking for that engagement, looking for that awareness, so on and so forth? And once you're clear about which of those you're trying to achieve, that's when you can really start to think more about diving into the details of how to sort of structure the always on content and what you want to produce. And I think a big part of it is, you know, having that right mix of being reactive to the trends that are going on, but also having the right frameworks, processes in place so that you're not killing yourself trying to come up with a new idea every single day, right? There's, there's a really smart way of working that's required for an always on strategy to actually be successful. And that really is a part mix of sort of data, processes, um, but also a little bit of intuition and creativity. No, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of conflicting advice online about, you know, this idea of posting a certain amount of times per day and being always on and not every brand is convinced. But I mean, in your opinion, what do you think the real value is of a BAU or always on approach? Yeah, that's a great question. To the first part of the question about all the advice that you're seeing, you know, by gurus on the internet or people who have those of years in the, um, with a marketing background, really, I think you have to take every single piece of advice, including all the things that we're going to talk about today with a pinch of salt, uh, because no single brand, no single industry is the same, right? Twitch is going to be really different. We're sort of looking for that daily engagement with our viewers, with our creators on an ongoing basis. And that pace of communication is sort of equally frequent, right? We want to really be top of mind uh, with our viewers and, and with our creators as they're thinking about, you know, where they're going to get their source of entertainment for the day. Whereas if your brand happens to be, I don't know, selling cars or selling bathrooms or, you know, selling a piece of clothing or selling makeup, et cetera, 
that's that's going to be very different. Your buyer behavior and your buyer persona is also going to be very different. You know, they may not be thinking about these buying questions at the same frequency as other brands. So all that advice that you see online about how often, how much, when, none of that is is going to be valuable unless you do your own testing, right? It's it's important to look at look at that advice, come up with your own hypothesis about you know what your consumers or what your viewers or what your sort of users ultimately want and then basically test really all around you know the the only advice that you can really sort of get out of this is to form a hypothesis test and learn from it i think that's also what we've been doing as well we've been doing a lot of testing a lot of sort of observation about our users and our audience on social and looking at what's most effective but also what's most value add and we've sort of noticed that you know that daily frequency is works for us and is good for us. And we're still able to maintain a fairly significant engagement rate on a day-to-day basis. We're still hitting the right sort of cadence with them. But what we also start to see is that if we increase that to say twice a day, three times a day, that incremental value is not significantly higher. So we're not aiming to hit that sort of two, three times. And some some advice even say, you know, multiple times a day when it comes to a channel like Twitter, we don't do that because we don't see that incremental value. And I think that that's what we take out of it is that we came in there with a um, with a sort of real hypothesis about what we want to achieve. And we tested it over time and observed over time and really aligned with our audience um, with sort of what they want. Um, and the second part of your question in terms of the value of BAU content, really what we take out of it is, um, you know, this, this concept of building brand mental availability and salience. Um, ultimately, you know, if you look into sort of research around this area, uh, most of the research will tell you that actually brands and uh, sorry consumers are not necessarily as loyal as you think they are, right? They also don't spend that much time thinking about you as a brand in their day-to-day lives. So what can you do? What kind of content um, can you create that will trigger that sort of that mental availability, right? That share of mind. And I think that's what's really important for us. So every single piece of content that we post on a BAU basis, we always make sure that there is a very distinctively twitch angle to it and also visually, look and feel wise, it's really clearly Twitch. And so what that means is that with that sort of constant engagement, with that constant exposure to our brand, our voice, and even, you know, representation of the content on our, our service, um, it means that we are more available in front of mind uh, to the users that we are looking to engage with. So I would say that that's the value of BAU content, that mental availability and that salience at the end of the day. Yeah, it's not just posting like every day for every day's sake either, is it? As you said, it's, you know, you still have to have a reason, a justification for posting if you're going to post every day. And I think you made an interesting point there about how your value didn't increase from, say, one post a day to three times a day. And I think it's important for any brands listening to understand that a lot of the time when platforms are advising you to, like Instagram, for example, say post 10 stories a week they're doing it because they want you to use their features that often it's not necessarily the right thing for you yeah absolutely and I think a lot of brands would struggle with you know perhaps coming up with the right way of of being able to create 10 pieces of content you know a week and you know that that's also part of the challenge and part of the fun of always on content as well and Monica, from a sort of reputational standpoint, do you think BAU content and always on is underestimated? Because we've got these sort of terms where you've got meaningful content and you've obviously got hero content and campaign content. Do you think BAU sometimes gets a little bit overlooked or sort of pushed to the side in favour of like the bigger pieces? I think so, because I think there is a perception that, you know, it's just a frivolous piece of content. 
But ultimately, again, you know, as I said at the very beginning, it really is about sort of your strategy. And for us at Twitch, um, at least in Twitch and Mia, our BAU content is equally important uh, as our sort of campaign content, right? The, the things that we're, we've been planning months and months for is equally important as the stuff that we're sort of planning on a, you know, weekly, monthly basis. And the reason for that is because, you know, we really do see that community building and that ongoing engagement really happen with our BAU content. Um, our BAU content is always very much about, you know, how do we tap into what our community is interested? How do we sort of engage with them in a way which is meaningful? And how do we engage with our community in a way which is sort of also very social? And so for us, that's the baseline. That's sort of your bread and butter. That's how you keep that engaged community so that when you have a piece of campaign-based content, you're able to reach uh, the consumers that you need to reach because your usual content gets such high engagement that, you know, it's easier for your campaign content to also get the, you know, get the same amount of engagement, get the same amount of reach. So yeah, for us, um, it's equally important. And it's it's really the way in how we are able to authentically present ourselves, you know, as a brand, as as Twitch uh, to our community and to our audience. Makes complete sense. And then in terms of uh, as well, divvying up, I know it sort of depends on the brand, but, you know, what's the perfect ratio in terms of planned content versus reactive? Because we know you've got to be reactive to things going on, but we know also being reactive, planning too much, you can kind of not have that space to do either sometimes. Yeah. So... In my previous life as a consultant, I've worked with many brands um, who find always-on content very intimidating. And the reason for that is they have this perception that, you know, always-on content has to be reactive. You have to sort of think about what's happening on the day. You have to, you know, get the insights about, you know, what's trending. Um, and that is really simply not sustainable because no matter how sophisticated your insights or trends monitoring is, by the time you figure out that something is actually trending, and then, you know, you're starting to create content about it. You have to go through rounds of review. You know, your, your creative agency has to be sort of really on the board to be able to produce that piece of content on the day. Uh, by the time you get that piece of content out there, you've pretty much missed the trend. Like that's how fast sometimes, particularly on channels like Twitter, um, that's how fast trend cycles go, right? So actually, our, in a, in a way, it's kind of a paradox, but our approach to reactive content and always on content is to be as planned as possible. And the reason why I say that is because we create a framework which allows us to be more reactive. So we actually plan our content on a monthly basis. And by doing the right research and by looking at historical data about what our audience um, are interested in and also keeping an eye on sort of longer term developing trends, whether it's you know, the manner of speaking, the type of content, you know, if there's a sort of trending uh, format or, you know, a trending like she, she uh, shanties, for example, that was something that was sort of developing over time. And we knew that that was going to be fairly interesting. By doing that due diligence and that research upfront, you can really start to plot out what you suspect may or may not be um, interesting in that upcoming month, right? And, and so that research is super important for us. And then the second thing that we do in order for us to actually be more reactive is to create what we call franchises. These are effectively templates and they sort of span um, a low, medium and sort of high amount of production. So it means that we have a whole bunch of franchises which are very much, you know, within our brand, very much showing off our sort of distinctive brand assets um, that we can easily use for our content on an ongoing basis. So if I see something that is trending today, I might have a conversation with our social agency and we can very easily stand up a piece of content which already look and feel wise um, aligns back to you know, our brand and our strategy. 
And that's how we do it. You know, we have to plan ahead. You have to create these formats. You have to create these templates um, in order for you to actually be much more reactive. Because when you see something, you can act upon it much quicker. You don't have to go through those rounds of brand review, those rounds of, um, you know, content review. It's very much a simple conversation. And then we slot it into a template that we already have. So in terms of sort of how we tackle, you know, always on content, plan and reactive, actually 80% of our content is roughly planned. But we have flexibility on a day-to-day basis where, you know, if today um, we happen to notice that, you know, a particular topic is is really trending and actually we already had a similar piece of content um, planned for maybe in one or two weeks time, we can move that forward very easily um, and, you know, still go ahead um, with our content. So, yeah, I think planning is super important uh, in order to be reactive. It may sound like a paradox, but that's the only way in which you can do it sustainably. Mm, that's interesting. So, Monica, how would you suggest brands divvy up their resources then? Because if we're talking about planning on a monthly basis, you know, you've got to have people on standby who are, you know, assuming they're working on a bigger campaign at the same time, you know, they're on standby for reactive content. How much time and effort should brands put into their always on content? How much can you afford to spare, I guess, when this stuff is going out every day and, you know, expectations on social say it should be to a certain standard for different platforms but as you mentioned earlier you know not everyone has all the time in the world yeah so in your question you're talking about sort of this idea of expectations and standards i think that's the key to unlocking this whole conversation because actually what we've noticed um you know pretty much month on month um throughout you know our our presence in emia on social um is that it's really not about the production quality that determines uh, the the final outcome of a, a particular piece of always on post. Actually, it's it's that sort of intersection of does this hit um, an interest point with the audience? Is this something which is topical, and is this something which is relevant? And so, what we've seen is that sometimes our low lift, you know, one or two liner text posts will do much better in terms of overall reach, overall impressions, and overall engagement then perhaps a video content which we've been producing for three weeks time. And really, I think that's what's interesting about social is that it's it's easy to say it's quality over quantity or, you know, it's easy to say that video content will get much higher engagement um, than text-based content or than static content. But all of these things are, you know, things that you have to take with a pinch of salt. We're able to create text-based content and static content, which is actually hyper-engaging because we've been able to tap into a particular interest point that our audience really want to talk about and actually engage back with us, right? One of my favorite examples is that um, a couple of months ago, we actually started off a whole thread um, on one of our near accounts uh, playing tic-tac-toe with our audiences. That's it. It's as simple as that, right? And it really, it really sort of fit into our overall strategy on social about wanting to be fun and wanting to sort of portray that fun, exciting, interactive um, nature of sort of this is what makes Twitch Twitch. Um, and, and that piece of content, you know, really went very well, right? It was hyper engaging because obviously people want to engage um, in something like that. It's, it's open invitation for our community to have a, have a dialogue with us or have a, you know, have a game with us effectively. And that piece of content, you know, it didn't take weeks to actually create. It was super simple and very much sort of just text-based. And so I think that's what's really interesting is that when we're thinking about, it's really easy to equate, you know, engagement with production value, but that's not the case. It's actually what's in 
that piece of content and the intent of it and how you want to engage with the audience, which really matters. And so to answer your question in terms of, you know, the split of resources, we do it in a way which is going to drive us uh, value effectively. So we probably spend about, I don't know, I would say 40 or 50 percent of our effort in terms of our always on content. But even sort of within that, that is really split into you know, the research, um, you know, the planning, so on and so forth. And in terms of actually producing the content, it's a much smaller portion of that. And then the rest of it, yes, we do spend on sort of our campaign content, you know, ongoing pieces of content, which actually requires uh, much, much more effort, much more production value to actually put into place. But um, those are also very important for us because, you know, telling those stories um, is, is an important part of our content strategy at the moment, being able to sort of showcase what is on Twitch and, you know, what makes live streaming uh, so magical. It's important for us to also be reactive in that space too. Yeah, definitely. I have to agree with you there. I think you talk about text-based things, like the effort that goes into a tweet doesn't actually take that long. And sometimes the rewards can be really massive. And it's interesting because we just spoke obviously about how much you should plan versus how much your content should be reactive. And I think as you sort of alluded to there, even if your content has been planned out, if, it, if you can keep it quite raw and not overly polished, that's like a lot of the merits of reactive content, I think, or the fact that people can tell it hasn't been done too many times. And yeah, something as simple as playing a game of tic-tac-toe can go a really long way. Absolutely. I, I think we're at a stage now where audience on social, consumers on social, viewers on social, they're at the stage where they're actually not looking for that really polished piece of content. It's not saying that they're never interested in that, you know, when you're, when you're sort of producing a long form video or something, you know, which is quite interesting and you want to sort of really tell a story. But there is that element of authenticity and that rawness, as you say, uh, which they also really appreciate from brands. And, you know, it may not work for every single brand. It sort of really depends on your brand personality, the brand persona that you want to establish, but it works very well for us. We want to establish that sort of very light fun, even slightly mischievous uh, tone uh, across all of our social. And therefore, you know, we do do things where we're taking fun text-based memes and we're sort of adapting it so that there's a sort of real twitch angle and a real twitch voice to it. And I think that's key is you can't just take what's trending and put it on your social and hope that works. You know, you also have to make sure that there is a real sort of relevance with your audience and you're able to really insert your personality and your persona in that piece of content. You're listening to the Social Minds Podcast with Monica from Twitch. So far in this episode, we've spoken about how an always-on approach, or BAU posting, keeps you top of mind on fast-moving platforms like Twitter, but also why posting three times a day isn't any more beneficial than posting once a day. Plus, Monica revealed how much of a brand's output should be planned versus reactive, saying Twitch's own approach is 80% planned content and just 20% reactive. Coming up in this podcast, we'll be discussing how much of Twitch's content is inspired by its creator community, Monica's recommendations for brands wanting to be involved in the conversation and the golden secret to live streaming's ongoing appeal. One of the things I want to know, Monica, is obviously you've got such a massive creator community as well. How do you sort of take, well, you know, what lessons have you learned from watching uh, how they engage and the sort of content they create and whatnot? Personally, for me, um, what I really take away from our creator community is just how community-centric they are. And I think that's really... You know, in a way, that's sort of really the magic of what makes Twitch or live streaming interesting. I think a lot of people perceive live streaming, perhaps, you know, perhaps the easiest way to sort of equate it is, oh, it's like live television. But I think what's different about, you know, a platform like Twitch, a service like Twitch, 
is is really it's that interactivity as well that you get with um you know the creators and the streamers when you're popping into stream or when you follow them you have a creator sort of reaching out to you and say hey welcome to my stream or hey thank you so much for the follow and they really have a real dialogue if you haven't experienced it it's really difficult to describe that but for for people who do use twitch on an online basis i think for a lot of them they'll say that it's really that community which sort of makes twitch twitch and you know if there's anything that i've taken from our creators is just how amazing that they're able to build up such a you know engaged excited and just super sort of together community and that's something that we sort of also really want to represent and put across now content as well is to really build that community feeling right it's it's about everybody being able to have a voice, even if you're just someone who likes to lurk in chat or someone who likes to sort of lurk in the comments, um, you know, you're still able to have a dialogue and and have that conversation together. So, yeah, I think in terms of something that I've taken from the Twitch creator community, it's really how well they're able to sort of build that community and sustain that community. And that's something that we really want to put across and, and you know, express in our social content. Mm. How much of, of Twitch's own content then is inspired from what the creators have been doing on the platform in terms of the trends and stuff that they're following? So a huge part of our social content is based on what's happening on Twitch. And and that's really part of sort of our key strategy, um, you know, in terms of our sort of social media content for this year. As, as we're thinking about how can we showcase and help people understand what makes Twitch Twitch, we've noticed that it's really important important for us to actually sort of package up those magical moments that happen live and share it on social. And, and what's really interesting is we sort of noticed that when these big moments happen, there is equally a sort of big uh, wave happening on social as well. So for example, earlier this year, um, when one of our Spanish creators, Grafk, um, he actually set the world record uh, for the highest number of concurrent views. When his stream was building up that momentum, Equally, when you look at sort of that social listening and looking at sort of tracking that conversation, there was an equal uh, momentum sort of building on social as well. There was a significant peak during that day or even during that same evening when his stream was going online. So what we know is that these when these magical moments happen, our community are talking about it and not just on Twitch, but also on, on social as well. And so it's really important for us to be there, to be present um, and, and to really sort of acknowledge these moments. And so looking at what's trending on sort of Twitch, you know, what our community is interested in, what our creators interested in, what kind of content they're posting, what kind of topics they're talking about. That's a significant part of sort of the, the content strategy that we have for Twitch this year. And it's really about packaging up those moments and really like tapping into the magical moments of sort of what makes Twitch Twitch. Yeah, that, that's a significant strategy for us. And, and for brands wanting to tap into that as well, Monica, where would you sort of suggest that they start in terms of, you know, getting a feel for what people are talking about and what people are streaming about? Because we hear a lot more and more nowadays brands really wanting to not just tap into gamers, but tap into the, like you said, the live streaming culture that exists around Twitch as well. This is probably something where it's, you know, 99% data and insights and then 1% um, intuition and creativity, really. A lot of it is, you know, you do you do have to do your research and your due diligence to understand sort of what that community stands for. I think it's very, it's very, it could be very daunting, very um, difficult for brands who haven't sort of been part of that space to understand it. But once once you get into it, once you sort of actually, you know, looking at a few live streams or watching a few live streams and actually participating in that community, you get a really good sense of what's going on. And I think for us, at least at Twitch, we rely on a combination of sort of internal tools, external tools to really scan that data and to scan, um, you know, that trending data, right? So 
what are the top games that are happening? You know, who are the sort of top um, creators? But also, what are you know, what are the most amount of uh, what what are sort of the categories where there's the most amount of minutes watched or the most amount of minutes broadcasted? Those are all pieces of information that we look at to start to paint a picture of you know what's starting to bubble up. That's actually something that we're trying to do at the moment, which is to figure out, you know, using the data that we have, are we going to be um, able to or getting better at sort of predicting what are something that's going to become interesting, right? Get ahead of the trends before it actually happens. Um, and the second part of it is also really looking at sort of what the community is saying, both on on Twitch, um, on our service, but also sort of in channels like social media. So social listening for us is really important. Um, trend tracking on social is also really, really important. Knowing what people are saying, knowing what people are posting content about, um, knowing, you know, what are some of the what are some of the topics that our, our community is interested and excited about. We take all of those pieces of information and then the last that last one percent really is is a mixture of intuition, right? And I think, you know, all of our our entire team, we're all super passionate about sort of Twitch and the and the community and the and the creator community. And sort of we we think also about, you know, what makes us excited. What are some of those moments that, you know, we also personally get very excited about. And we sort of mix all those together to figure out, you know, what's going to be an interesting piece of content. And I think eight, nine times out of ten, we do actually get it right. Um, earlier this year, for example, you know, Rust, which is a game created by um, a studio based in the UK, was really, really popular all over the world. It's actually it's actually not a game that was released um, earlier this year, but because a few of our creators, um, you know, created servers for it, um, particularly in Spain, for example, it sort of really blew up, right? And we were very much at the sort of beginning of that. We created a lot of reactive content relating to Rust, relating to Rust-related memes and sort of showcasing, you know, these fun exciting moments that sort of happen on live stream. And, you know, we, we saw an equal sort of um, spike in terms of our performance um, on social when it when it was content around that. And I think that's what it is, right? Looking at the data, looking at um, both the internal data that you have and the external data that you have, and then really that last bit of intuition and creativity was really important. Mm. It's so important as well when there's so much content going on on the platform to really be able to dig into, you know, the specific areas that are relevant to you. And something that always amazes me about Twitch is I had no idea just how much content was on there and how many sectors that it actually, you know, spreads across, how many different subjects there are. I mean, obviously, live streaming has become massive in the last couple of years. I mean, I'm, I'm reading things that say streamers, the new influencers. And I just want to hear from you, Monica, if there are any skeptics still listening, what do you think makes live streaming such an engaging experience? You know, why are we seeing such a boom in popularity? I think as I said this already in one of the previous questions, but to sort of really reiterate that, right, there's two things which really sort of make live streaming super interesting and engaging. And, and you wouldn't really know until you sort of tried it and experienced it yourself, whether as a streamer or, you know, as, as part of the community watches it. But there is that magic of something happening live. It's sort of really real. It's very raw. It's very unfiltered. And I think it's it's almost a reaction against the kind of filtered, curated, lenses saturated type sort of Instagram content where everything is perfection, right? Um, whereas live live is not like that. Live is very much raw, unfiltered. It's sort of just what's happening now. And I think there is there is a magic around that, and there is a magic around also that interactivity element of it. It's it's so different, really. You know, I highly encourage everybody to sort of just give it a go. You know, go to Twitch, watch a feed, because what you notice is, you know, when you jump in, especially especially you know in a in a in a community where maybe there is only about you know hundred or thousand um, sort of viewers on stream at that stage, you know, that that 
creator is really interacting with you almost personally. When you're popping in, when you're saying hi, when you're, you know, posing a question, they'll be coming right back to you and say, hey, Monica, welcome to the stream. You know, hey, Monica, you know, thank you for uh, X, Y, Z or, you know, answering your question specifically. I think I think that interactivity is so special that it's it's really unseen in other platforms. And that interactivity is also instant as well, right? It's not like a... You know, you leave a comment on Instagram or you leave a comment on Facebook or, you, you know, you reply to a tweet. Um, it's very sort of off the time and very sort of timely that that that's what sort of really makes it such an interesting format. I think that's such a good point. And it's amazing how long you can find yourself actually watching and engaging with a stream versus a traditional piece of content because of the points that you just made there, Monica. Some fantastic tips there and advice. Seems like a good place to end the conversation on. But thank you very much for your time, Monica. And I think like you said in the questions before, like, you know, as with all platforms, we say you learn by doing. So the best way to get on there and obviously look around and be inspired and see how people are using the platform and the sort of content and sort of conversation conversations that are happening and really go from there is probably a good point as well absolutely thanks for having me Theo and Eve thank you thank you Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 